Welcome to the Hopkins Press Podcast. I'm Mary Alice Yeski with the Hopkins Press Journals Division. Our guests today are Dora Malik and Cosiso Ugueze. Dora Malik is an associate professor in the writing seminars at Johns Hopkins University and the new editor-in-chief of the Hopkins Review. She has written four books of poetry, Flourish from Carnegie Mellon University Press, Stett, Princeton University Press, Say So, Cleveland State University Poetry Center, and Shore Ordered Ocean. With Laura T. Smith, she is the co-editor of The American Sonnet, an anthology of essays and poems forthcoming from the University of Iowa Press. Cosiso Ugueze is a Pushcart Prize-nominated writer and editor. She was born in Enugu, Nigeria, and raised in Southern California. Her short stories have appeared or are forthcoming in Joyland, Gulf Coast, Subtropics, and the New England Review. Cosiso is an MFA candidate in the writing seminars at Johns Hopkins University, where she is the managing editor of the Hopkins Review. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dora and Cosiso. We're just really excited to, to take some time with you to learn about what's happening at the Hopkins Review. To start with, can you um, introduce yourselves, tell us each your name and what your role is with the Hopkins Review and how you came to be a part of the journal? My name is Dora Malik, uh, and I'm the editor-in-chief of the Hopkins Review. I just stepped up to the position in January. Uh, I'm also an associate professor in the writing seminars at Johns Hopkins University, which is our creative writing department. And uh, I am uh, filling the, the, the big shoes of my predecessor, David Yezzi, who served as editor for seven years, um, and before him, John T. Irwin, uh, who passed away in 2019, but was really the force behind uh, launching the Hopkins Review in its current incarnation in 2008. And thank you so much for, for having us on the podcast. Um, my name is Cosiso Ugueze. Um, I'm managing editor of the Hopkins Review and also a second year MFA candidate in the writing seminars at Johns Hopkins University. Um, I became involved in the journal my first semester I started as an assistant editor, and um, when the opportunity to become managing editor opened up, I raised my hand and said I'd love to do it. For our listeners who might not be familiar with the journal, can you give us a little bit of a background on its history and the content? Absolutely. So in terms of the history of the Hopkins Review, um, it actually is uh, one one of the older uh, pro, uh, journals published by a degree-granting creative writing program. I believe it was originally the first journal, uh, creative, uh, the literary journal published by a degree-granting creative writing program because it was established in 1947, uh, the year that the writing seminars was founded by Elliot Coleman. Uh, for reference, that's the second oldest program of its kind in the country. The first is Iowa, and I believe Iowa's journal didn't start till the 1970s. Uh, so that's kind of a, a geeky claim to fame. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it was a short-lived claim to fame because uh, due to the lack of funding and lack of permanent faculty, that incarnation of the journal actually folded in 1953. So Hopkins Review was was dormant slash non-existent for several decades. And then John Irwin really felt like uh, a top tier MFA program needs a literary quarterly, um, both to be sharing its vision and curating emerging and established writers, 
and also as an experience, a professional experience uh, and a pedagogical experience for its own MFA students. And what would you say sets the Hopkins Review apart from other literary journals? Um, I think one of the biggest things that sets the Hopkins Review apart from other journals is that we have an art folio in every issue. So we feature um, prominent or emergent artists um, throughout the journal. Um, we also prioritize criticism and public facing art. Um, in the past, we've had things like dance reviews, book criticism, personal essays, and memoir. Um, we also have a longstanding relationship with form and poetry, but we're trying to keep that conversation ongoing and open. And so I think the Hopkins Review is really special in that we have sort of like a lot of different part pieces, components. Um, we feature art folios. We have great formalist poetry, but poetry that also expands the forms. We were also open to different forms of poetry and fiction. So I think that is like the main part, main thing that makes us a special journal. And for those who, you know, either subscribe or are familiar with the journal, um, when, when those folks um, either received or saw online the latest issue um, that just came out uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, at, le at least speaking for myself, they were in for quite a bit of a visual surprise because the journal has had what I would categorize as a pretty massive redesign um, this year with this volume year. So I wanted to talk to you about that because it really was just sort of jaw-dropping and stunning, the, the sort of before and after. Um, so I wanted to ask you kind of how that decision came about and how that process happened, um, where, where the impetus to, to make such a dramatic cover change came about and, and, and just kind of talk us through. And in addition to your couple with the with the um the cover redesign you have a very shiny very lovely new website so i was just kind of hoping to get some more background detail on all these exciting new changes thank you so much uh, and thank you for the positive feedback on the the redesign we were hoping that that would be the the general reaction but perhaps the general reaction after a moment of shock and surprise because it is very different i gasped i gasped audibly gasped <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, mission accomplished. So I think Cosiso did a beautiful job of, of talking about the, the content itself of the Hopkins Review and the really eclectic content being what sets it apart from perhaps other literary journals that the poetry and fiction is really bumping up against visual art and criticism. And we are uh, going to, to make a push to start publishing more public facing scholarship, um, all kinds of things. And, and so the idea is if you come for one genre, you kind of end up having to encounter and enjoy and wrestle with others as well. And in taking over the journal, and I knew that I was gonna be stepping up uh, last year, so I had some lead time to do some planning. I really was thinking about how to keep that mission of this very eclectic, lively journal going while both expanding the readership base, expanding the contributor base, um, uh, thinking a lot about the, uh, the, the diversity and all kinds of diversity in terms of where people are geographically, uh, in terms of gender, race, ethnicity, sexuality, um, aesthetic. So just thinking about how can we make the Hopkins Review more inclusive um, and, and really celebrate 
uh, this, this aesthetic diversity alongside all kinds of other diversity. And I thought we need a design that reflects that. It also is the 15th issue, you know, the 15th volume, which means the 15th anniversary of this new incarnation of the Hopkins Review. So I thought, let's coordinate that redesign with a kind of celebration of those first 15, first 14 years, and then this looking forward um, at what our future is. And I ended up doing a lot of listening sessions with different what you might call stakeholder groups, um, advisory editors, contributing editors, faculty advisory editors, former staff, current staff, which are of course uh, current students and alumni, um, and just getting a sense of what they wanted to see in the journal, what they wanted the journal to represent, how they might want the journal to represent the writing seminars itself and our community here. And uh, I did that in collaboration with the designer Sevi Perez, who I'd worked with before on other literary projects and I admire his work. He's very immersed in uh, the, the literary publishing world. Uh, and so he was a great partner and visionary in um, doing both the cover design and then also saying, well, let's have this be a more holistic design and make sure that we have a website that is as inclusive and user-friendly and dynamic as the vision that we want for the print journal itself. The other thing I wanted to ask about the cover in particular was, um, you know, after I sort of saw the, the new cover and was again taken aback by how gorgeous it was, I then realized reading, you know, both on your social media and in, and in you know, other writing about the issue was that the your plan was um, to feature one artist on every cover of this volume year. So I wanted to find out um, kind of how that decision came about, how you selected the artist for this year, maybe a little bit more about him and um, and just sort of how that played out. Because to my knowledge, I don't, at least within the Hopkins Press catalog, there, there isn't another journal that does that kind of thing to feature someone um, in, in various ways um, over the course of the volume year, which I think is a really inspired choice. So I wanted to hear more about that. Thank you so much. And I'm here in my office in Gilman Hall on the Homewood campus and class is letting out. So I <laughs> apologize if there's ambient noise from happy students. Uh, I'm, I think I'm, that's a good thing. We'll all, we, all, we all are happy to hear happy students. So we, it's okay. we, all, we all have missed it, but uh, <laughs> exactly. the, the, the timing isn't perfect. Um, so you asked about this featured cover artist. We, we've had these folios, as Kosisa mentioned, for uh, the, the, the duration of the Hopkins Review since 2008. Uh, we've had this focus on visual art, um, but in thinking about print culture and where print culture is now and trying to really do some reflection on why someone would want to subscribe to a print journal, mm. uh, why they would keep it in their home instead of pulping it, uh, why they would leave it out on their coffee table, I thought, let's start thinking in terms of volumes being something cohesive and something meaningful, something that represents a year of art and culture and thinking and community, as opposed to a kind of container for more piecemeal issues that come and go. Mm -hmm. And so that was my vision. I didn't want to lose this wonderful uh, 
uh, tradition of these interior folios. And I think it's really important to focus on a different artist each month, but to have that cover artist, and our hope is to often have them be artists who have some affiliation past or present with Baltimore, mm -hmm. uh, we thought would be a way to celebrate where we're based geographically, to celebrate our hometown, um, to shine a light on really amazing artists, um, and to also create this uh, really beautiful print artifact where it would live on your shelf or live on your table and you could get to really anticipate each new issue coming in a year and then look forward to what the next year would bring. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're really excited to start with our first cover artist who's uh, Stephen Towns, um, who is a, a figurative painter uh, and a fiber artist. So we'll have some of his, two of his paintings, and then we'll have two of his uh, fiber quilt artworks. Um, oh, how cool. It's, uh, we're really excited on the next two covers. Um, and so, so yeah, we're, we're just excited about that. And then um, in this issue, Karen Wilkin has a folio featuring the paintings of Jill Nathanson, who is an abstract painter, kind of a color field painter. And so to have that figurative vision and then open up and have the abstract vision, um, hopefully is, is another little surprise in terms of juxtapositions in the artistic landscape. Yeah, I, is, Stephen, is Stephen Towns from Baltimore? He is not originally from Baltimore, but he, he is based in Baltimore now. Yes. I think, again, it's just, it's such a thoughtful design decision that, that ties into the mission of the journal really well. And, and like you said, uh, gives, gives people a tangible real artifact that they're, that they're going to want to, that they're going to want to keep. Um, and, and it creates anticipation for what's next. Like I didn't realize it, that he was also a fiber artist. I just assumed it would be a series of paintings and knowing that it's going to be completely different in two issues makes me excited for 15.3. So I'm excited to see that. Um, we'll, we'll also be ending the year because we thought, you know, the, the artist who's on the cover should have a folio of their own as well. Mm. So the final folio of the year, 15.4, will be a folio of Stephen Towns's work. So that will be eight additional images. Nice. Uh, and we're, we're really excited. Um, Karen Wilkin, who's been our longtime art uh, critic and curator, uh, encouraged me to also reach out in this process and, and invite other guest critics and guest curators. And so uh, the, the Rabkin Art Journalism award-winning uh, art critic, uh, Seth Rodney, will be introducing Stephen Towns, which we're really excited about. In that oh, day. how nice. What a nice little kind of full circle end cap for it too. Um, that's, that's really exciting. What advice would you give to someone considering submitting to the Hopkins Review? Um, so as managing editor, I'm in sort of in charge of this submittable queue. And so we have a very robust system. Um, I just want to give a shout out to our wonderful assistant editors and our wonderful readers who do some, a lot of the heavy lifting of going through and reading our submissions. Um, our process is that we, we try to come to a consensus about a lot of the work that we, we, we choose, but we always have thoughtful discussions about the pieces that jump out at people. And we, you know, we encourage our editors to sort of, you know, pursue work that sings to them. Mm. So while we have sort of like a, 
structured and meticulous system of like looking through submissions and making sure that everything gets read twice or more. Um, we also encourage our assistant editors and our readers to champion work that they feel jumps out at them or that has a unique voice, a unique perspective, a unique way of looking at the world. Um, and so we would say to our submitters that if you're in on, the, on the fence about something, you think it's too experimental, you think it's not going to be a fit, we encourage you to submit it because we do have people on our staff who have different tastes, who have different sort of, we have sort of, we have a diverse, a very diverse and very interesting eclectic group of readers and assistant editors. So if you're in a fence about something, you think it's too weird, you think it's too, it's too experimental, we encourage you to submit it because we just, someone on the team might be, you know, really into speculative fiction and would be, you know, love to, take on your work. So don't be shy is essentially <laughs> the, <laughs> the um, yeah, the advice I'd give for anyone who's interested in submitting is to really, we're, first and foremost, we're looking for work that sings, mm. essentially. Um, and so we're, we're really encouraging of all types of um, forms and topics. And, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I love, I love that, uh, that sort of atmospheric picture you just painted about the editorial process, about how you have, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, almost like psychological safety that the mm -hmm. editor can say, you're like, look, th this, this is important to me. And here's why I think that, that, um, that speaks to, you know, again, to talk about what we were talking about in the beginning, sort of how different this journal is from other journals and how the, the net is a lot wider um, and a lot more um, open and um, accessible. I think that that's that's really something special. And I love I love when using the word sings. That's great. Um, that that that's a really succinct way of of describing it. Yeah, because it's just it's it, it isn't one specific genre or you know focus. It's really it's it's whatever um, whatever sung to the person that read it. I think that's fantastic. Issue 15.1 is out now in print and online via Project Muse. Can you give us a little sneak peek as to anything that may be in store for 15.2? Um, yeah, absolutely. So 15.2, we have, as, as we always do, we have some wonderful poetry. We have fiction. We have book criticism. We have memoir essays. Um, we have an art folio. Um, and I think what's really interesting about 15.2 is that we're featuring like new people, people who have never, the journal has never featured before. Um, I think in the past we would sort of like have um, recurring writers, but I think in 15.2, like this, most of the people are people who, you know, have not been featured before. And a lot of them are people we've, you know, found we, whose work what came through submittable. Hmm. Um, and so like, you know, we, we do value the, the submissions that we get Mm -hmm. um, we do value sort of featuring um, people who have not been featured in the magazine before. Mm -hmm. New voices. New voices, yeah. Absolutely. Kosi, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there's always a balance uh, in terms of editorial vision between solicitation and open submissions. I don't think it's a, a bad thing or an immoral thing to say we do reach out to writers we're excited about and say, please submit things. Mm -hmm. um, what do you have for us? And I do that as editor in chief, but I've also really encouraged assistant editors, managing editors, um, readers with the journal, um, students and uh, recent graduates 
to reach out to writers that they're excited about. Uh, so to have that kind of multifaceted uh, vision in terms of passion pieces and really getting to reach out to peers and heroes um, and invite them. But I also do think it's important, as Cosiso just said, to make it very clear that open submission means open submission and that we are accepting and reading and excited about work that's coming to us through our open reading period in October. Um, I thought I'd also briefly mention that this month, the month of April, uh, is introducing our first contests. Uh, mm. So that's not, uh, we're talking about the issue 15.2 um, coming up, but in terms of other sort of exciting things on the horizon, um, uh, Sophia and Antonia Friedman, um, who are the daughters of Anne Friedman and Stephen Dixon, who were really beloved, professors, longtime professors at Hopkins um, who passed away, they have established two new prizes in their parents' honor, the Anne Friedman Translation Prize, which is open to all emerging translators, which we're defining as translators who have published no more than one full-length book in translation. Mm, okay. And uh, the Stephen Dixon Fiction Contest, which is open to all graduates and current students of Johns Hopkins University. Mm. And so those are open all through the month of April. They are free for subscribers as our uh, submission periods are always free for subscribers. And so that that's pretty exciting. Um, so thinking about the kind of legacy, Stephen Dixon was a longtime writing seminars faculty member. Another longtime writing seminars faculty member um, was John Barth. Um, who turned 90 years old recently, and his, uh, his what will likely um, be uh, among his, his, his last uh, books of writing, his later collected writings um, called Just Desserts, will be published later this year, I believe by Dalkey Archive Press. So we really wanted to celebrate John Barth um, during his own lifetime uh, mm. and, and uh, celebrate his legacy as a writer and a teacher. So 15.2 brings a John Barth tribute folio, including oh, nice. a piece from John Barth, which is very exciting from, uh, from this forthcoming book, a short piece called Navigation Stars, which is about his literary touchstones and essays by writers that include Gina Apostol, Jennifer Finney Boylan, John Dominey, Robert L. L. Friedman, and Michael Martone uh, writing about their experience learning with and from John Barth. So I'm- Oh, how lovely, yeah. Very excited about that. Um, we have some great reviews. Cosiso mentioned the art folio, which uh, will be another tribute, this one posthumous. Uh, to Wayne Tebow. Karen Wilkin uh, was uh, friends with or um, colleagues with Wayne Tebow and he passed away, I believe on Christmas of last year. And so she has curated a folio. And for those familiar with Wayne Tebow, you often think of the rose of pie or the rose of cake. Um, and there are some of those pieces, but there are also some more surprising pieces, some figurative pieces, some landscapes uh, with a, a, a tribute, um, a remembrance by Karen Wilkin. Uh, and then as Cosiso also said, 
some poetry from people who have appeared in the Hopkins Review before, A.E. Stallings, for example, um, and then people who are new, uh, new to the journal, uh, but certainly names that are exciting to those familiar with contemporary poetry like Safia El Hillo, uh, D.A. Powell, C.T. Salazar, uh, Torin A. Greathouse, so we're, we're really excited about those. And we have not one, but two translation folios in 15.2, um, in one from Yiddish and one from Korean. So oh, wow. I think there's, there's a little something to excite and surprise everyone. It sounds like it. And what, what, when are we expecting that issue to become available to our readers? That should be in June. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dora and Kosusa. This has been such a great conversation. And um, again, congratulations on the journal's sort of rebirth. I mean, I really, it, it was, I, I wish I could have videoed my face when I saw the picture of the cover. It really was stunning. And the website is, is just lovely. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to reading the, the next couple of issues and seeing what's next for you guys. Thank you so much. And I loved when Kosisa was talking about people submitting uh, and said, don't be shy. I feel like that could be the, 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 the motto of the new Hopkins review. I feel yeah. like we're, we're trying to not be shy and put ourselves out there. And we're really uh, seeing ourselves not just as a sort of one directional publication, but hopefully something that starts a conversation and builds a community and gets people excited um, about, about each other's work and about discovering new work. This podcast is a production of Hopkins Press. For more information, please visit press.jhu.edu.